And if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to grab it. We're going to be in John chapter 1 today. If you're ready to dive into God's word, would you say amen? Amen. John chapter 1 is where we're going to be. And we're continuing a study that we started last Sunday that we're calling Into the Wild. And we're learning wisdom from the wilderness specifically from the life of John the baptizer, and we're looking at his life out in the wild, in the wilderness, and learning uh, how we can apply these truths to our lives. And so today, we're going to be in John chapter 1, and we're going to start reading in verse number 19. And the Bible says this, in verse 19 of John chapter 1, and this is the record of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who art thou? Everybody nudge your neighbor and ask him, who are you? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, what then? Art thou Elias? And he saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, no. Then they said unto him, who art thou? That we may give an answer to them that sent us, what sayest thou of thyself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as said the prophet, he says, and they which were sent were of the Pharisees, and they asked him and said unto him, Why, baptist, why baptizest thou then, if thou not uh, be the Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet? And John answered them, saying, I baptize you with water, but there standeth one among you whom you know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latch it I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethabara beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. And as John bear record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode on him. And I knew him not. But he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. For a few minutes today, I'd like to speak to this subject identity issues identity issues let's have a word of prayer and we'll dive in today father we thank you for what you're doing in our church god thank you for the men's night that we had this past friday night just men getting together and gathering around your word and lord thank you for just the iron sharpening iron and edification that took place lord thank you for Uh, growth track yesterday and many newer people to Rock Hill just learning more about the doctrine and the beliefs that we hold as a church and how we can continue to move forward uh, in a way that's pleasing to you. And Lord, I pray that you'd be with us right here in this eight o'clock service. Lord, I pray that our minds would be active and attentive and ready to receive that which you have for us. And Lord, I pray that your word uh, would not return void as your word promises. And we love you in Jesus name. And everybody said this morning, 
Every year, our church family has an event called the Trunk or Treat, and uh, this is on October 31st. It's kind of a safe alternative to Halloween. We come together, and we have a good night of fellowship, and we, uh, we invite the community to come in as an outreach event. How many of you have ever been to a Trunk or Treat at Rock Hill? And uh, this is an outreach opportunity for us. And, and I remember a couple of years ago, two years ago, we were setting up for Trunk or Treat, and uh, just kind of getting ready, setting up some canopies, setting up some cones, and, and uh, we were setting up, and I saw someone around the corner of the church, and I didn't recognize them, and I was kind of keeping an eye on them. I wasn't sure who it was, and, and, uh, and they started to come and started to walk, walk towards us pretty quickly, and, and this person was wearing all black and kind of like this cape-looking thing and had long black hair, was carrying this little stick, and I thought, who, who is this and who's coming towards us? And, and as they started to get a little bit closer, I realized that it was Seth, our worship pastor, <laughs> and... I looked at him and I thought, oh no, is he going through some sort of depression or like, is there something wrong and why is he carrying this little stick and you know, what's going on? And, and I remember looking at Seth and I just asked the question, who are you supposed to be? And uh, he told me that he was a Harry Potter character named Snape. And uh, now I know this, uh, uh, I've been educated, but back then I just remember looking at him like, who are you? And uh, who are you supposed to be? Now we come to John chapter one today, and we are uh, studying the life of John the baptizer, the cousin of Jesus Christ. In, in this particular section of scripture, there is a group of religious leaders that are coming to interrogate and to question John. Now, they are not excited and they are not happy about John's ministry. Uh, they are not excited about his passion uh, to point other people to Jesus Christ. By the way, uh, do not be surprised when people are not appreciative of your passion for Jesus Christ. Uh, don't be surprised when people start to question your commitment in following Jesus. Uh, don't be surprised when people ask, you go to church on Sunday morning and you go again uh, during the week? And don't be surprised when people think, man, you tithe 10% of your income and man, uh, you are at church all the time. What are you, uh, some sort of Jesus freak? Uh, you can say, yes, nice to meet you. I am. Uh, but don't be surprised when people uh, question your level of passion. That's exactly what's happening in John the Baptizer's life, that these religious leaders, they come and they are interrogating John and they're peppering him with questions. And their primary question is this question, who are you supposed to be? Who are you? Why are you baptizing? Why are you causing this scene? Uh, who are you? Now, that question could have caused John the baptizer to fall into some sort of identity crisis and tailspin. He could have really been introspective and thought, man, who am I? And what am I supposed to be? And, and what am I doing? And, and rather than John allowing those questions about his identity uh, cause him to uh, kind of fall into this tailspin, rather he responds with confidence. And it's one of the most clear articulations of identity, I believe, in all of Scripture. How John responds, and this is so needed in our culture, in our world today, because so many people are struggling with who they are and what they're supposed to be and what their purpose is, and what, they, uh, what their identity is. In fact, uh, during uh, 2020, when the 2020 Olympics were postponed because of COVID, that really caused a lot of uh, anxiety and struggles for many of the athletes because they were so used to sticking to a certain schedule, and then everything uh, was changed. Particularly, there was one athlete, Simone Biles, and she said this. Uh, she said, uh, I tell my friends, I don't really know what to do because I've never not done anything. Now we literally have to sit at home. And then she said this, I don't really know who I am as a person besides an athlete. I don't really know who I am as a person besides an athlete. Uh, 
Now, she's not alone because many people today are struggling as to who they are. In fact, certain phrases in our culture have become increasingly more and more popular. Phrases like, I identify as, my pronouns are, my preferences are. Uh, certain cultural phrases are on the rise. In fact, I believe that the number one issue facing the next generation is the issue of identity. Who, who are we? What are we supposed to do? Uh, what, what, what is the purpose for my life? Now, I'm thankful today that the Bible has much to say about this. Aren't you thankful for that today as well? The Bible says in Romans 8, 16, the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit, watch this, that we are the children of God. And so the best question is not who we are. The best question is whose we are. Who, who do we belong to? Can I tell you today that our identity is not anchored to the culture, that our identity is not anchored to a career, that our uh, identity is not anchored to a dollar amount. Our identity is anchored to the fact that we have God as our father and we are children of God, that we are sheep of his uh, pasture. And so we are sons and daughters of the King of Kings and Lord of lords. In fact, the Bible says in Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece. We are his greatest work of art created in Christ Jesus unto good works, that God has a great plan for your life, that he wants to do wonderful things in you and through you, that you are created unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Uh, I believe that if you are going to make a difference out in the wild, out in the world today, uh, you have to have a clear understanding of your identity of who you are. And so these guys come in there peppering John, the baptizer with questions, and who are you, and where do you come from, and by what authority do you do these things? And they're asking him all of these questions, and John shows us that he is anchored and confident in who he is, his identity. Now, uh, to kind of catch you up to speed, uh, John, like I said, is the cousin of Jesus. At this point in John's ministry, uh, his ministry was already in full swing. In fact, by the time we come to John 1, verse number 19, John had already baptized Jesus. And so his ministry was in full swing. He's going to reference that in the passage that we're studying this morning. And so many people were coming out into the wilderness, out into the wild to hear John. This guy was wild. He was eccentric. Uh, he was passionate. Uh, he had long hair and a long beard and, and uh, weird clothing. And he ate honey and locusts. And so people were coming from all over uh, to hear John's message. But the number one question that the religious leaders of the day wanted to ask him was, who are you? Now, John's going to answer that question in our text today. And I want to give you a couple of things that you can jot down if you want to take some notes today. Uh, I believe that in the text, from John's response, uh, I see three ways that we can understand who we are. Three ways that we can understand who we are. If you're ready to dive in, would you say amen? amen. Number one is this. You have to understand who you aren't. You want to truly understand who you are? You have to understand, first of all, who you are not. Notice what it says in verse number 19. It says, and this is the record of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who art thou? And so we learn that this group, the Levites and the priests, they come to John and they're asking him this question, who are you? Later on, we'll see that this group, the Bible tells us explicitly that it was the Pharisees that sent this group. Most likely, it was this body of religious leaders known as the Sanhedrin. Uh, how many of you have ever heard of the Sanhedrin? Uh, the Sanhedrin was uh, comprised of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It was kind of like the Supreme Court in religious uh, uh, in the religious system, they rendered all of the religious decisions. And it's interesting because the Pharisees and the Sadducees actually disagreed on many things. 
The Pharisees were like the far right, far conservative, theologically, extremely legalistic uh, mindset. That was the Pharisees. The Sadducees were extremely liberal theologically. They denied the miraculous. They denied uh, the resurrection. And so the Pharisees and the Sadducees did not see eye to eye on many things. But I find it fascinating in scripture that when you start to learn about the Sanhedrin, this group that was comprised of both Pharisees and Sadducees, that often they teamed up against, they teamed up with one another another when they had a common enemy that they were against. And I think there's an important principle here. Be very careful when you are aligning with someone just because they are against what you're against. That's the lowest level of unity that there is, when someone is just against something that you're against. Uh, The second level of unity is those that are just for what you're for, that, hey, they're uh, for this, and I'm for this, and so we're united together. Uh, You need some people in your life. Are you with me today? You need some people in your life that are not just against what you're against and not just for what you're for. You need some people in your life that are for you that can encourage you, that can speak life into you, that can hold you accountable. And so the Sanhedrin was comprised of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They didn't even get along, but they didn't like John because John was out in the wilderness baptizing people and he was gaining some attention and gaining a crowd. And so they send messengers to John and they're asking, who are you? Uh, What is this all about? Now, notice how John responds uh, by, uh, in verse number 20. Notice how he responds. He says, and he confessed and denied not but confessed, I am not, everybody say not. not. He says, I'm not the Christ. John, who are you? Well, I'll tell you right now, I'm not the Messiah. See, there was this certain messianic expectation in Jewish culture during this time in the first century. Everybody had, had their eyes on the lookout for when is the Messiah coming and where is the Messiah? And we need, we're longing and we're awaiting the Messiah. And so John knew that there was this messianic expectation in their culture. And so he says, in case you're wondering, I want you to know I'm not the Messiah. You need to know, if, if any of you think that, that that's my position or title, it's not. In fact, William Barclay, a commentator, he said this. Uh, he said, as late as AD 250, the Clementine recognitions tell us that there was some of John's disciples, John, John the Baptist, some of John's disciples who preached about him as if their master was the Messiah. And so there was this confusion amongst some of John's disciples that they thought, surely this must be the Messiah. And they were uh, falsely uh, labeling him. And so John says right off the bat, I want you to know who I'm not. I'm not the Messiah. But then they go on and notice what it says in verse number 21. And they asked him, what then? Art thou Elias? So the next question is, are you Elijah? Uh, Are you Elijah from the Old Testament? Verse number 21. And he saith, I am not. And so they say, okay, if you're not the Messiah, then are you Elijah? And he says, I am not. Now, if that question seems a little bit out of left field to you, like why would they just ask him, are you Elijah? Like that seems like a little bit uh, of a random question to ask out of all the prophets. Are you Elijah? The reason they asked that question is because Malachi had a prophecy about a forerunner that would come before uh, the Messiah. What they were referencing was a specific prophecy in Malachi chapter 4, verse number 5, that says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And so people would even ask Jesus about this. Is John the Baptist, is he Elijah? Uh, Is he the one that Malachi promised? And Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 13. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, John the Baptist. And if you will receive it, Jesus says, this is 
Elias, Elijah, which was for to come. And so Jesus is saying that John the Baptist came, as Luke 1.17 says, in the spirit and in the power of Elijah, though he was not Elijah incarnate, okay? And so John the Baptist was not Elijah incarnate, but he did come to fulfill prophecy in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. Uh, but John makes it so clear. I'm not the Messiah, and I'm not Elijah. And then they ask him a third question about his identity. Are you still with me? Verse 21. Then they, then they said, this is the third question, art thou that prophet? Are you that prophet? And he answered, no. Now that sounds like a pretty particular and specific question. Are you that prophet? That sounds like they're referencing a specific prophet. Would you agree? They're not just saying, are you a prophet? Are you that prophet? And so what prophet specifically were they asking about? Well, Moses, all the way back in the Pentateuch, in the first five books of the Bible, Moses had this prophecy about one that would come, uh, a prophet. And he said this in Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, the Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee. Most commentators believe this is a reference to the coming Messiah, uh, to, uh, to Jesus, uh, God in the flesh. But they were asking a specific question. Are you that prophet that Moses talked about? They were very familiar with the law. And so they said, are you the Messiah? John the Baptist said, no. Are you Elijah? No. Are you that prophet? No. See, John began these, uh, this interrogation by understanding who he was not. He says, I, I want you to know that I'm, I'm not these things. And, and I believe that if we are going to make a difference out in the wild, in our culture, we have to understand who we aren't. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, the Bible says this in Galatians chapter 6, verse number 3. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing... He deceiveth himself, but let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. See, many people struggle with their identity because they are so busy pretending to be something or someone that they aren't. The images that we edit on social media, the resumes that we embellish for our profiles, the stories that we exaggerate to make ourselves look better. Often we struggle with identity because we are so busy pretending to be something or someone that we aren't. And if we are gonna change the world, if we're gonna impact the culture, we have to be content with who God created us to be. John was comfortable in who he was by understanding who he was not. He was not trying to be or to pretend to be something that he was not. In fact, notice verse number 22. It says this, and they said unto him, who art thou? So they're frustrated now. So they said, are you the Messiah? No. Are you Elijah? No. Are you that prophet? No. Then verse 22, then who are you uh, uh, that we, watch this phrase, that we may give an answer to them that sent us. So this was kind of an intimidation tactic. Like you better give us the answer that we want because we are representing some very important people and we're going to go back and they are expecting an answer and they better like what we hear. We are representing some important people, most likely a reference to the Sanhedrin. We're going to go back, and uh, we need to give them an answer. So tell us then exactly who you are. They were trying to intimidate John in this, in this, in this question. And I believe the same thing is happening in our culture today, that there is intimidation uh, that is taking place all around us, that you better fall in line. If you want that promotion and work, then you better do and say this and act like this. And if you want uh, to uh, be respected amongst uh, social media influencers, then you better post like this and do this. And you better fall in line. And if you don't, you're going to lose influence. You, you better make sure that your boss likes the answer uh, that you give him. You better make sure that the people in your life like what you are saying. You better fall in line. But, but the, the problem is, is we have become so obsessed with living in the court of public opinion 
where we are so concerned with what other people might think. And uh, I like what the Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 1, verse number 10. He said, do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. And I love that Paul just had this mindset of, I'm not trying to please everybody around me because newsflash, you can't please everybody. But Paul said, I am trying to please one person and that is Jesus Christ. John the baptizer was not concerned with what they thought. He was not concerned with them going back to the Sanhedrin and what they thought. He was concerned with only one person and that person was Jesus Christ. I wonder what would happen if some followers of Jesus got serious about pleasing Jesus and Jesus alone. It's not just about everybody else around me and what they might think. It's about Jesus. And so, number one, you have to understand who you are not. Be comfortable and content with who God uh, created you to be. Here's a second thought today. Once we understand who we are not, number two, we can understand who we are. Understand who you are. Notice verse number 23. It says this. He said, I am the voice. Everybody say the voice. voice. All right, that was like nine of you. Everybody else say the voice. Here we go. He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet he says. And so this was a prophecy that Isaiah gave that we saw last week that's mentioned in all four gospels uh, that uh, John the Baptist was the voice, the one that was meant to prepare the way for the coming Messiah, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. But watch this. This is so important. Are you with me today? I find it interesting that when John speaks to his identity, when he is going to finally respond and tell them who he is, he starts by quoting scripture. Watch this. If you are serious about understanding who you are, first, you got to do two things. First, you have to build your identity on scripture. John said, you want to know who I am? I am. It's a very simple yet profound truth. He said, I am who God says that I am. You want to know who I am? I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. How does he know? Because that's what the scripture said about him. Uh, he understood who he was because of what God in his word says. This is so important because I am not what the world tells me. I am not what my friends tell me. I am not what my emotions tell me. I am not what my boss tells me. I am who God says that I am. And when I look to God's word, it says that I am a child of God. It says that I am a sheep of his pasture. It says that I am already accepted in the beloved. It says that I am redeemed by the blood of the lamb. It says that I am a citizen of heaven. I'm so thankful today that when I am concerned with who I am and what my purpose is, I don't have to take my cues from the cold around me. I can look to the God above me and I can look to his word and build my identity on scripture and not on my emotions. We live in a culture around us that are framing their entire existence based on an emotion or a feeling and there needs to be some followers of Jesus that would say no, uh, my identity does not revolve around the ever-changing current of culture. My identity is built and anchored in who God says that I am. John the baptizer said, you want to know who I am? I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness because that's what scripture says. Notice uh, what it says in verse number 24. He says, it says, and they which were sent were sent of the Pharisees, and they asked him, and said unto him, why baptizest thou then, if thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet? And so they said, they said, okay, then why are you baptizing if you're not the Messiah, if you're not Elijah, and if you're not that prophet? Now, here's the crux of the matter. If you really want to know the heart of what these religious leaders were trying to get at, this was it. Watch this. They didn't really care who John was. All right? Watch it. They didn't care who John was. That's what they were asking, though. Who are you? Who are you? But here's what you need to know. They didn't care who he was. They cared what he was doing. 
See, to practice baptism was a religious rite or ritual. In the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and the religious leaders thought that was under their jurisdiction. And so for John to be going out and to be performing a religious ritual like baptism, that was an infringement upon their territory. And so this is the real crux of the matter. Not when they ask, who are you? When they ask, then why are you baptizing? See, they didn't care who he was. What they wanted was control. What they wanted was their authority to remain intact. And sometimes maybe people are questioning your identity, not because they care, but because they want control. They want conformity. John, who do you think you are that you can do what we do? You think you can baptize? That, that's our responsibility. That's, that's our uh, job. And so uh, this is what they really cared about. They cared about control. They cared about conformity. Uh, they cared about their authority. They wanted to control John. But John not only built his identity on Scripture. He says, I know who I am because of what God's Word says. But he also built his identity with humility. Now, if you are serious about understanding who you are, how many of you today would say that you are concerned with your identity in Christ? That, 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 that's something that's important to you. All right? Okay? And uh, I hope that's something that's important to all of us, that, that we care about who we are and what God has uh, created us to do. You have to build your identity on Scripture, and then you have to build your identity on humility. You want to know the danger of talking about identity? The danger of talking about identity and who we are is we can become very self-absorbed very quickly. The danger of things like a real infatuation with or a hyper-obsession with the Enneagram or personality tests or Myers-Briggs and things like that, is very quickly it becomes all about me, myself, and I. And we become very self-absorbed. And so if you really want to build a strong identity, you build it on Scripture, but you build it also on humility. Now, notice what uh, John is going to say in verse number... Well, actually, notice what they ask him in verse number 22. Notice the end of verse number 22. It says, What sayest thou of thyself? That was an invitation to self-glorying. What do you say? Talk about yourself for a second. Tell us, tell us about your ministry. That could, have been, that could have been an open door for John to be like, well, I'm the last of the Old Testament prophets. The Holy Spirit empowered me from my mother's womb. I'm, I'm a fulfillment of prophecy. I'm the cousin of Jesus. Later on, John didn't know this then, but later on, Jesus would say, this was the greatest man to be born among women. If John wanted to, he could have bragged a little bit. If John wanted to, oh, you want me to speak about myself? Well, I could tell you some things that might sound impressive to you. Uh, John could have kind of self-gloried a little bit, but John doesn't do that. In fact, notice how John responds in verse number 26. John answered them saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom you know not. You don't even know who's in your midst. Just like, just like the Old Testament, Jacob, the Lord was in this place and I knew it not. You don't even know who's with you. Verse 27, he it is who coming after me is preferred before me. Watch this. Whose shoes latch it, I am not worthy to unloose. John responds with such great humility. He says, his shoes latch it on his sandals. I am not even worthy to untie or to unloose. This was the job of the lowest slave in the household before the common foot washing when they would come into the house and they were walking on the desert highways. This was the job of the lowest servant to untie uh, the latchet, to unloose the latchet of the shoe. And John said, I'm not even worthy to do that. I was thinking this week, I remember when my brother was in sixth grade. He was in a sixth grade Sunday school class 
and the Sunday school class was called Preteens with a Purpose because they were getting ready to go into the youth group and, and uh, they were preteens. And so preteens with a purpose and that uh, they had this they had this uh, program, they had this uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, discipleship, I guess you could say, program for the preteens. And that was if they brought their Bible, if they brought a friend, if they you know, memorized a verse, if they did some of those things, they were going to win a prize. And the grand prize for that competition for my brother when he was in sixth grade, and I think I was in second or third grade at the time, but for my brother, the prize was a trip to Scandia in Ontario. How many of you remember Scandia? You know, those were the good old days right there in Scandia. And so uh, my brother tried really hard to win that competition. And it came down to the very end, and sure enough, he won the competition. And not only did he win a trip to Scandia, but a part of the program was you could bring one friend with you. Anybody that you wanted, you could bring. And I'll never forget, my brother came into our room. We shared a room at the time. And uh, he came and he said, Matt, I want to take you to Scandia with me. Out of everybody that he could have chosen, he chose me. And I remember just feeling on top of the world, like, man, my brother's the best. And, and I can't believe he chose me. And we're going to go to Scandia. This is like the best day ever. And so we went to Scandia, and it was a dream come true. It was the best day that, that I can remember experiencing. We rode the rides, and we ate good food. And it was just awesome. We drove back home. And I just remember thinking, my brother is the coolest. And, and uh, we got back home that night. And my brother got in his bed, and I got in my bed, and our beds were kind of adjacent to each other in the room. And, and uh, he got in bed, and he was laying down, and he said, Matt, um, I want you to take off my socks. And he kind of wiggled his toes. And I was like, I'm not going to take off your socks. That's disgusting. What are you talking about? I'm not going to do that. And uh, he said, but Matt, I took you to Scandia. And I was like, oh, he did take me to Scandia. Okay. And so I went over there and I was like, oh, I hate this, but okay. And I took his socks off real quick and went and got back in bed. That went on for the next six months that he would say, Matt, I want you to come and take my socks off. And I would reluctantly go over and I didn't want to do it, but man, that was so nice that he took me to Scandia. And then one day I heard my mom talking to some of her friends. And she said, you know, Larry won this competition with preteens and purpose. And, and I told him that he needs to take his brother, Matt. And I found out that he only took me because my mom made him take me. And for six months, I was taking off his socks every night in appreciation for what he did. That was a humiliating thing to come to terms with, that I was just taking his socks off. You know, when, when John says this, when John says this in John chapter 1, that I'm not worthy of untying uh, the shoe latchet of Jesus, that was a common expression. That wasn't just something John just kind of made up on the spot. See, when a disciple would follow a rabbi, that was a very lengthy process to become a disciple. Uh, most children in Jewish culture, they went to school every day, attached to the synagogue, and by the time they were five, six years uh, old, they had the entire first five books of the Bible memorized. Then they would go on, and only the brightest of the brightest would go on. They would continue their education. Many of them had the whole entire Old Testament memorized. And only the best of the best and the brightest would get to go to that Ivy League level, you could say, and they would become a disciple, and they would get to follow a rabbi, a teacher. But it was common in rabbinic culture that a disciple would do everything with you. He would eat with you, learn with you, travel with you, walk with you. A disciple would do everything with you. But one thing that even rabbis knew to never ask a disciple, this was common in their culture, was to untie the shoe latchet of their shoes. They considered that to be too low. That's too far. That's crossing the line. If I'm going to ask someone to do that, I'm not going to ask my disciple to do that. And here's what John says. Are you with me today? John says, I am not even worthy to do the lowest job of a slave. I am not even worthy to do that for Jesus. See, what he recognized was, 
I'm going to build my identity on scripture and I'm going to build my identity on humility because at the end of the day, it's not about me. John's whole life was about pointing people to Jesus. We can become so self-centered, so self-infatuated, so self-absorbed, and everything is about us. But I want to encourage you today to ask God to give you the grace to forget self and to focus on Jesus. This is what John said. Uh, I am not worthy. The one that is coming after me is greater, uh, greater than me. And so he built his identity with humility. Now, this is going to lead us to our third thought today. Number one, you have to understand who you aren't. Be content and comfortable with who God created you to be. John said, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not Elijah. I'm not, I'm, I'm not that prophet. Then you have to understand who you are. You can understand who you are by building your identity on scripture and building your identity on humility. Here's a third thought today. Number three, then you have to understand who Jesus is. Now, John is going to conclude this section that we're going to study today, and he's going to give two powerful and dramatic statements about the identity of Jesus. And this is so important because you will never be able to truly understand who you are if you don't understand who Jesus is. And so he is going to describe for us who Jesus is. And I want to give you the two statements that he gives. Do you have a couple more minutes in you today? First, Jesus is the Lamb of God. Notice verse 28. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. Watch this, verse number 29. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Here's Jesus. Behold, pay attention. There he is. He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Now, what did he mean? You may, maybe have heard that expression before. You've read this verse before. But what did John mean by that when he said, Behold, here's the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Remember, John's father was a man named Zacharias. Zacharias was a priest. A priest would have been very, very familiar with the daily temple sacrifices. This is something that they did every day in Jewish culture in the temple. Once in the morning, once in the evening, they would sacrifice a lamb for the atonement or for the sins of the people. John would have been very familiar with his dad's line of work. On bring your son to work day, he went in and he saw the blood-stained garments on his father. The Levitical priesthood was a bloody business. Sacrificing a lamb in the morning, sacrificing a lamb in the evening. John would have been very familiar with seeing his father do this. And now John is pointing to one greater, the once and for all sacrifice, as Hebrews tells us. In fact, Hebrews says this in Hebrews 7, verse number 27, uh, who needeth not daily as those high priests, like John would have been familiar with, to offer up a sacrifice, first for his own sins, then for the people's. For this he did, speaking of Jesus, this Jesus did once when he offered up himself. See, what John is saying is that Jesus is the once and for all perfect lamb of God without blemish and without spot. And Jesus knew no sin, yet he was slaughtered for the sins of humanity. And we, like John, ought to praise the name of Jesus and celebrate the name of Jesus. Behold, the lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world, that Jesus died for you so that you could be forgiven so that you could be offered the righteousness of God that could be placed on your account so that you could have a holy standing before God. See, he came as the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. The problem is the Israelites weren't looking for a lamb. The Israelites were looking for a lion. 
They wanted the lion of the tribe of Judah because the lion of the tribe of Judah would come with force. And what they wanted is strength. They wanted force. They wanted the Messiah to come and overthrow the Roman government that was oppressing them and to establish and to usher in a new earthly kingdom. And so they wanted the lion of the tribe of Judah. But Jesus came as a lamb. But make no mistake about it. I want to encourage you today. Jesus is coming again, and he will come again as the lion of the tribe of Judah. But when he first came, he came as the lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. And this is a beautiful picture that John says, behold, here he is. This is the sacrifice. This is the lamb of God. If you were to visit uh, the Prado Museum in Madrid in Spain, you would see a painting that's called the Agnes Dei in Latin. I think we have a picture of it today. In this, this lamb, barely perceptible, Above his head is this halo. The lamb's feet are tied. And barely perceptible is the fact that that lamb is laying on a wooden beam representing a cross. In Latin, Agnes Dei means lamb of God. Behold, the lamb of God. One day. We will, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've received the good news of salvation, one day in heaven, we will join in a song with a thousand angels. And this is that song, Revelation 5, verse 12. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the lamb forever and ever. Behold the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. This was John's message. Here he is, the Lamb of God. He's the sacrifice for our sin. Notice verse 30 as we close. He says, this is he of whom I said, after me cometh a man which is preferred before me. For he was before me, that Jesus is eternal. And John says, this is who I was talking about. Verse 31, and I knew him not. Now, John was related to Jesus, but he says, uh, I didn't know at that time that he was the Messiah until it was revealed unto me. And so I knew him, but I didn't really know him. By the way, what a tragic reality for many people that know of Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. They've heard the stories. They, 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 they're familiar with uh, sections of scripture. They come to church on Easter weekend. Uh, they're familiar with Jesus, but they don't know him personally. John, verse 31, he says, and I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore, I am come baptizing with water. And John made record saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and it abode on him. J John is talking about the baptism of Jesus, a powerful moment in scripture where all three persons of the Trinity are, are there in one scene, in one moment that, that, that Jesus is there. The spirit descends like a dove and, and uh, God the father says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And John said, when I saw that spirit uh, descending like, like a dove upon him, it, it remained on him, verse 33. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, upon whom thou shalt see the spirit descending and remaining on him the same as he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And so it was revealed unto John that this one upon whom the Spirit would come descending like a dove, this is the Messiah that would baptize not just with water, but with the Holy Ghost. What is he talking about? He's talking about at the moment of salvation that we were, we were 
baptized into uh, the body of Christ. In fact, this is what it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one spirit are we all, everybody say all, that all of us at the moment of salvation, we were indwelled and baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been made all to drink into one spirit. And so John said, I knew that this was the Messiah upon whom the spirit descended. And so he says, this is the Lamb of God, but here's the second thing I want you to see we'll be done today. Verse 34, and I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. So here's the two statements. You want to understand who Jesus is? Here's the two statements today. He's the Lamb of God, and he's the Son of God. John knew that Jesus was more than a prophet, more than a good teacher, more than just a rabbi. Uh, John presented Jesus as the Son of God, declaring and confirming his deity and his divinity. In fact, Richard Trench, one writer, said this, In naming him the Son of God, the Baptist speaks with unclouded vision. He means nothing less than the full Christian doctrine that man Jesus is also eternal son of the eternal father, co-equal and co-eternal. The Son of God. And so John presents to us who Jesus is. The Lamb of God and the Son of God. The only question is, have you put your faith in him? Have you put your complete trust in him? Because at the end of John's gospel, he said this, but these are written. John gives a purpose statement, a thesis statement for this letter, and he says, this is why I wrote this, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. And so if there's anyone in this room today, anyone watching online today, and you're not sure that Jesus is your Savior, you're not sure where you would spend eternity, uh, eternal life, John makes it so clear that if you believe on his name, you might have eternal life. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today.